Today, we are re-releasing our episode of The Hate You Give, which we originally released on October 3rd, 2018. We think Angie Thomas's book is a great place to start thinking and learning for adults and young readers alike. In this book, Thomas covers topics such as police brutality, code switching, race relations, gangs, and protests and rioting. She confronts a number of issues in a nuanced way with no easy answers. We wanted to call attention to this episode specifically because we believe that teachers play a vital role in helping students learn to understand the world around them with all of its complexities. We believe that open, inviting conversations are essential in helping kids learn to think with empathy and compassion and to see how they can play a part in making our society better. As three white women, we have moments in this episode where we said things that may not be right. We worried then and worry now about saying the wrong thing. And these moments make us uncomfortable. But because of what's happening in this country, we know that it is important to confront our own discomfort to move forward. And we think it's essential that teachers be prepared to talk with students about this important movement. We're working to be allies, and we know we are imperfect, but we are working hard to continue learning and growing. On our social media platforms, we will be celebrating Black authors and highlighting books that we love. We're also sharing resources in our newsletter, so be sure to sign up if you haven't yet at unabridgedpod.com. We also have a list of resources on Teachers Pay Teachers that support discussions about these topics. We are happy to provide any of those resources to listeners for free during this time. Just email us at unabridgedpod at gmail.com to make a request. Hello and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hey, it's Ashley. Today we're discussing Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. This is one of our book club books. This is our October pick. And we are so excited to be doing an unabridged book club. We'll be discussing this book all month on Instagram and Facebook at Unabridged Pod. Um, and we also are going to be, we're excited to see the film and look forward to releasing an episode about that after we see it. Um, and we'd love to hear your comments about the book or the film anywhere on social media. So check us out on there. I also want to mention before we get started, because race is very relevant in this book and because this is a podcast and you cannot, in fact, see us, um, I wanted to say up front that all three of us are white women. We are all living in a rural area of Virginia. Um, Like I live in the city, but it is still a very um, (laughs) small city city, um, with a small population. And I think that's relevant to this discussion. So we just wanted to say that up front. We all loved Angie Thomas's book so much and we look forward to discussing it and we all believe that the issues that she is addressing in the book are so important in our society today. We believe that Black Lives Matter. We believe that a lot of the things that she is addressing as far as police brutality and um, the role of race within um, some of the decisions that are made in the courtroom, that all of that is an important discussion for us to have um, in our society. And so we look forward to talking about her amazing book today. So with that, let's get started, ladies. What did you all think? Just general impressions first of The Hate You Give. This is Sarah. So I love this. I read this actually for several book clubs have picked it, and I read it for um, one that I do outside of the Unabridged Book Club. I did it with the Diverse Books Club, and now we're doing it with (laughs) On a bridge book club, but I think it's so important and such a, a relevant, important book that I think that all book clubs should read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the book. I loved the characters. I love the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the moments of levity that Thomas sprinkles throughout so that it's just not so... I mean, it's just so, it's a hard book, but mm-hmm. um, but she is really good at crafting these moments of levity where you actually can have a laugh mm-hmm. um, in the midst of this really hard, these really hard topics that she's tackling. But I love Star, I loved Big Mav, I loved Lisa and um, Sakani and Seven. I love the family and I just, I just loved it. Mm-hmm. I cannot say enough about it. And each reread, I love it even more. And I'm so excited to see the film. 
but also mm-hmm. am apprehensive. Mm-hmm. That I mean, mm-hmm. like because often when I love a book, the film mm-hmm. doesn't measure up. But I hope this one does. Mm-hmm. I really have high hopes for it, but I am going in with a little trepidation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Jen. I'm in the same boat. I just every time I've read it, I've found something new to love. I think that Angie Thomas's writing and her message are both so nuanced that I think she tackles a lot of issues with a lot of grace. I think she is amazing at creating real characters. I think Star just feels so real and she's not perfect. She's a kid who makes mistakes and who is struggling to understand a world that's very complicated. And so I, yeah, I just appreciate so many things about it. Um, like you said, Sarah, I think the secondary characters are mm-hmm. also excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even though there are characters who I do not care for at all, I think she does a great job of making us see different perspectives without making people villains. I, I think most of the characters, even if I come out on the side of not liking them or thinking that they make the wrong choices consistently. She makes you understand why they're making those choices. Um, So yeah, I just think Angie Thomas is brilliant. I think her writing is brilliant. I imagine we'll spend a lot of time talking about issues and plot, but I do just want to say, I think her writing is so, Mm -hmm. so strong. And she just has a beautiful way of articulating a lot of ideas that I think are out there, but maybe aren't always expressed quite so clearly. Mm -hmm. I appreciate hearing you all um, and your thoughts about that, but I I think... Somebody posted, when I posted on Instagram, somebody had said, you know, I think that every student should read this book. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I could echo that, that I really think part of what I appreciate so much is that Thomas covers so many different issues. But like you said, Sarah, she does it in a way that's relatable to people regardless Mm -hmm. of their life experience. And Mm -hmm. I think that is what's hard to do well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also hard to not make it feel like they're like the author is kind of preaching to you. Mm-hmm. And I think she, she doesn't do that at all. I mean, no. she just lays it out there and lets you draw your own conclusions. Um, but she shows why things are the way they are. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that is, and she shows it. She does not tell us. She mm-hmm. shows it over and over again throughout the novel. Um, and like you all said, I mean, I have reread this as well and found so many new things in the additional reading. And I just, I think... Her storytelling alone is so phenomenal. Yeah, I think looking at... Sorry, Sarah. (laughs) I think looking at the characters as they struggle to figure out the right thing to do Mm -hmm. in a world that is not... Yeah, that is not... It it doesn't fall into one side or the other clearly. Mm -hmm. And that there is no one right answer. But when you see her and her family working through the implications of, you know, stepping forward or not stepping forward, telling her story, letting her face be seen or not... You understand, you know, as a mom, I think I understand her parents' desire to protect her Mm -hmm. and yet also to make her feel that she can stand up for what is right. Um, Yeah, I just think Angie Thomas does such a great job of showing how difficult it is to make a decision that is right and that even when you think you've landed on it, there still might be drawbacks Mm -hmm. to those decisions. So, yeah, I think what... I wanted to comment on what you said, Jen. Um, I think that those little nuances that Angie Thomas brings with not everything being black and white and not everything, not all good, nobody is all good or Mm -hmm. all bad. Everybody is somewhere in between. I think that is an important thing where some of the characters that we saw that we don't like during the course of the story, you still see that they are nuanced and there is something behind Mm -hmm. what is happening. And that, I mean, that's, I mean, I think for Angie Thomas to be able to, to do that and to step back and be able to provide all of these particular instances Mm -hmm. where people are neither good nor bad. Mm -hmm. They are, Mm -hmm. you know, walking somewhere in the middle. It just, I mean, I just loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way about Aisha. Yeah. Um, You know, I think Seven's mom, I think Angie Thomas does such a nice job with her of Mm -hmm. showing how, I mean, like you said, we don't like her. And there are a million reasons not to like her. And the reader is not intended to like her. Right. But, um, you know, what she does in the end to look out for him and his sisters and just the way that she, that we can see um, her role in all of it. And I mean, Khalil's mom and seeing how 
again, I mean, she had made some hard, some choices that very negatively affected Khalil's life, and yet I think she just does such a nice job of showing why those choices might have happened, but also how, how they don't always have to happen, that right. it is not, um, you know, inevitable that there are ways. I mean, I think about Big Mav, I think about with Devante, all the issues about like there are ways to get out and there are ways mm-hmm. to get help and to, to make different choices um, but she shows how hard it is mm-hmm. to to make that choice um, or to bring about those changes and so yeah I think it, that's really masterful mm-hmm. well and I think too about the gangs I mean the gang the way gangs are portrayed is that there are clearly bad things about the gangs mm-hmm. but it also offers an opportunity to have a family mm-hmm. if you don't Mm-hmm. have a family it offers you a way to I mean like look at Khalil even mm-hmm. though he didn't join the gang he was still still trying to take care of his own family by mm-hmm. you know selling selling mm-hmm. drugs and stuff to take care of his family it shows you why or how gangs come about and mm-hmm. why people choose to join because of the protection and places where yeah. they don't that people don't feel protected right that's like right when you see at the end that big mav is able to call on yes. the gang for protection and yeah to take care of his family when they've made the decision to go to court yeah and i don't think thomas is oversimplifying it but i think she does a great job of seeing or of showing why there is an appeal mm-hmm. and of the fact that they're not all the same right like some gangs yeah. i think it's back to the nuance thing yeah that that Within the gang, there are different ways that different gangs, you know, operate. I mm-hmm. mean, there's just, it's just not all one thing. And yeah. I think that is an important mm-hmm. distinction that she makes. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she does a lot to show just sort of to trace power and agency yeah. and like who has the power and who has the agency and what gives it to them. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like she does a really nice job of showing, I mean, that's the thing about gangs. You know, I think I was looking back at what Devante says. This is the part where he is explaining to Star why he's explaining why Khalil was selling the drugs and that Khalil was not a king lord. Mm-hmm. And then she is like so relieved kind of mm-hmm. that that she's relieved to find out. And so she says, I just hate how he's being called a thug and shit when people don't know the whole story. You said it. He wasn't a gangbanger. And if everybody knew why he sold drugs, then and then Devante says, then they wouldn't think he was a thug like me. Mm-hmm. And he and she's like, oh, I didn't mean, and you know, and he goes on, and he just says, um, I I get it. I guess I am a thug. I don't know. I did what I had to do. King Lawrence was the closest thing me and Dalvin had to a family, but your mama, I say, and your sisters, they couldn't look out for us like the King Lords do. He says, me and Dalvin looked out for them. With King Lords, we had a whole bunch of folks who had our backs no matter what. They bought us clothes and shit our mama couldn't afford, and always made sure we ate. He looks at the counter. It was just cool to have somebody take care of us for a change instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're kids. Yeah. I mean, I mean, absolutely. I just think, I mean, I think that that entire, that entire storyline with mm-hmm. Devante is just phenomenal. Because yes. I just feel like when people are not from a place where gangs are part of their world, there is a lot of judgment. I mean, that I've seen that with my students who, yeah. know, you know, who, when I moved here, I was really shocked to find, um, not that, not that I thought that people would be like, like you said before, Jen, it's not like people are like, yay, gangs. Mm-hmm. But where I was from and where I had taught before, people had a much stronger understanding of why they happen, how they happen, mm-hmm. and that, that, that lots of different types of people are involved in them. Right. Whereas here, you know, it felt like there were some profound stereotypes about what that means mm-hmm. and who those people are and how bad they are. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, you know, she, part of what she's addressing is that all of these power structures in place in our society are what lead people to having to make those hard choices so that they can survive and protect mm-hmm. their families and take care of themselves. And I think, you know, no, and I mean, so, you know, later on he says, nobody wants to sell drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, nobody wants that life. Um, but people do what they have to do to protect themselves and to take care of their family. And I think, you know, I think a lot of that is just um, really clearly articulated yeah. in the book. I think um, the fact that Big Mav is such a great character, and I think he's so likable, and the fact that she makes him a former gang member and someone who has been to prison. And, you know, she sets up all these foils for Big Mav, but I think that goes a long way, again, to just being a subtle way of saying everything is not as simple as it seems on the surface. Yeah, she uses her characters in such a smart way to kind of make these statements that the audience can figure out. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that she ever 
explicitly says it, but it is a very clear message from the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I'm um, just thinking about King and his mm-hmm. role in all of it, and I feel like I think even his character is so interesting because in a lot of ways, um, I mean, he is awful, and yeah. he's awful to all the people in his life. Um, and he clearly has gotten accustomed to entitlement, and he mm-hmm. feels that he is entitled to whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. Um, and at the same time, even even at the, I think the end is just so powerful, where he's arrested and people are standing up and speaking out because it shows how even his structure is such a house of cards, mm-hmm. and that so much of it is this like he's powerful because he shows power, mm-hmm. and then when the community around him no longer bows down to him he's not so powerful anymore Mm -hmm. and he seems kind of pathetic Mm -hmm. and I think you know that is really amazing too and I think there are lots of times where Big Mav makes him makes King seem pathetic Mm -hmm. and I I think that's amazing like he you know yeah just to see him in this light that shows that he is both powerful and weak and Mm -hmm. awful um, Mm -hmm. is really interesting well and that even though they sort of take him down, that structure is still in place. Like someone else is going to rise up to take his place. And maybe they'll be nicer. Maybe they'll be better. Maybe they'll treat people better and not be so entitled. But that structure is still in place. I mean, and I think that's like, Ashley, when you said about power and agency, I think that's one of the interesting things is that you really see the structures at work where Star lives. And that's both where she lives and where she goes to school and when they move to the suburbs and all of these places, there's a structure behind it. And people are just trying to make a small difference. But taking on the structure is a whole different thing than making a good positive decision for yourself in one moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's why I think that the final decision in the court case is so powerful. Like, I'm so glad Thomas didn't have the officer convicted because I think... The structure is still in place that is giving that, that not even that person, but that role its power. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really powerful message in the book as well. Yeah. I mean, I was re, you know, um, rereading about some of the killings that have happened more recently mm-hmm. since the hate you give um, in the last couple of days. And I just think every time, I mean, you read the, the exact account of what happened and then think, how on mm-hmm. earth was this yeah. tolerated? I know. How yeah. is it permissible? But it is. Mm-hmm. And so because it's happening over and over again, I think she really spoke to the truth of what is happening in American society. But it is ugly and it is painful. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she did that, but still managed to have, like you said in the beginning, Sarah, about the levity. I think she still managed to have a lot of, there's a lot of hope in the story and there's a lot of levity. And I think um, that's part of what I loved about it is that I think it speaks true to me in in the decision that was made Mm -hmm. and what happened, but it's also hopeful in yeah. the sense that like there are things that can change and there there is something to be done and one person's voice does matter mm-hmm. and I think that's really you know that's again it's a hard line to walk I just yeah. think she does a good job of navigating that pathway I um saw Angie Thomas last year at the National Book Festival and I think that her appearance there really reflected a lot of this that she has a very serious message and she is very earnest in telling it and in in wanting to sh- you know, have reality in her book and in what she was saying. She has a a clear agenda in writing the book. And yet, as a speaker, she was great at engaging the audience and she was really funny at times and um, she could code switch like you see Star do. And she would, she did it out there. She said, you know, she basically said, I'm going to code switch now. And then she did it. Um, So I just think seeing her, you understand how she was able to walk this balance beam in the book. That Mm -hmm. there is serious, serious content in the book. And yet it does have those funny moments. Mm -hmm. And you do love these people. And, you know, when you see the siblings interacting, they act just like siblings act all the time. And they Mm -hmm. fight and they get (laughs) on each other's nerves and press each other's buttons. And there's a reality there that just makes the serious moments easier to take and easier to kind of understand, I think. And we can link to, um, they post those videos of appearances at the National Book Festival. So we can link that in the show notes. And I would recommend it. I, My husband had not at the time read The Hate You Give, but he is happy to go along with me to see whoever I really want to see. And he came away from that saying, I really want to read that book. It sounds so good. And he really enjoyed seeing her speak too. And I think when you see someone who can set out their purpose so clearly, um, Yeah, it just makes the book sound like something you want to read. Mm -hmm. 
That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that the code switching um, makes me think about Star. So mm-hmm. I would like to talk a bit more about her. I mean, what did y'all think about Williamson and her life there, her friends, um, and her attempts to navigate that, especially after what happens with Khalil? I, re- I mean, I really felt for her during that whole thing. It seemed... I mean, I've never had something like that happen to me, but I've had that feeling where you just don't fit anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I felt like I could empathize with her in that she didn't truly fit or she didn't feel she fit at Williamson and her friends didn't really understand her. Mm-hmm. But then she also didn't fit at in Garden Heights, mm-hmm. like at the party. She When she walked on the party, she didn't feel like she belonged there. And so she just had, she was just kind of out in this weird space where she didn't really fit truly anywhere and that she had to, she had to have a persona at Williamson, Mm -hmm. but also a persona in Garden Heights. And Mm -hmm. I just really, I mean, everything else aside, even, um, even if you're, if you're not even thinking about Khalil, I just really felt for Star Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. this life she was trying to live. And I understood why her parents had her in a private school, mm-hmm. um, but I also, I also just felt for her and her inability to make these make strong connections with anyone really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just I really felt for her yeah. in that situation. And I think when you see her friendship with Haley kind of falling apart um, for good reason, um, you just see it's like one of her anchors has come loose. And, and, you know, that's another thing she's trying to work through. Haley makes the offhand comment about fried chicken to Star. And Star, you know, calls her out on it. And I think that's another one where just the nuance and that whole interplay is great. Because you can see Haley not understanding why it's a big deal because they had just had fried chicken. Um, but you can also see Star just, of course that's problematic. Uh-huh. Like, and how Haley just will not back down. Yeah. She just insists that there's it's not racist right that she didn't mean it that way and she won't admit that even if she didn't mean it that way it can still be a problem so right. yeah yeah and what i love about that is like i feel like we all know those people like yeah. Haley. i mm-hmm. mean that that is a clear i mean it's not a stereotype it is the person that we probably all know in our life that has mm-hmm. those same types of thoughts and so, I mean, I just thought that is another thing that made this so relatable is that I could, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you have those type of people yeah. all, you know, around. And I thought Star really, I thought Star went above and beyond mm-hmm. trying to make it work yeah. with her. I did too, um, yeah. It's like really gracious. Yeah, about the whole thing. after the whole unfollowing after the Emmett Till photo uh, and yeah. Tumblr and all of that, I mean, I think... I don't know. I just thought that she gave Haley more than a chance. Mm, and yes. Haley just did not want to own up to any of Well, she anything. just couldn't reflect upon herself mm-hmm. and be honest enough with herself to admit that there it could be rooted in anything. Well, and then when Maya meaningful. says the whole thing about the cat at Thanksgiving, yes. and it's mm-hmm. like... And then she couldn't realize. Yeah. Like, I think when, when Maya told her that and said that it had been hurtful to her all that time before, mm-hmm. right. and that that had stayed with Maya all that time, then how do you not, as a friend... Right. realize that you have made a mistake and maybe it was an ignorant mistake but that that's no excuse for mm-hmm. the fact that it's a mistake and yeah. so if you have made it you need to question why yeah and I think that I mean I agree that um she just was really gracious about it because like you said Jen I mean the fried chicken thing in isolation mm-hmm. you know just precipitate I mean of course it was star coming to see things differently that made that moment so illuminating Mm -hmm. but then the things that happened after and I mean her running her mouth about what happened to Khalil I Mm -hmm. mean I just feel like you know I think that the where things finally escalate is inevitable because of her unwillingness to see the world in any way other than her Mm -hmm. extremely privileged extremely bigoted way And her just inability to do that. But I think what you said, Jen, is a good point about that that she was an anchor Mm -hmm. for Star. And so Star is losing something. And she's mourning the loss of it. And it's hard for her to lose. I mean, she's already lost Natasha Mm -hmm. and Khalil through death. So then to lose another person who's been in her life a long time, who's known her since the incident with Natasha. You know, I mean, I loved what she said about about how they both bonded in grief because she had lost Natasha and Haley had lost her mom. Right? It was her mom. 
Um, and so, yeah. you know, I feel like that made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it gives common ground to people who might otherwise not have common ground. And yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing about people that we can find these spaces of common ground and can build a relationship. But then sometimes that doesn't yeah. work out because that ground isn't strong enough to support, right. you know, why you should have to why compromise should, to get that's there. right. That's yeah. right. Like why should star have to put up with mm-hmm. her continual attitude? Yeah. When I love the way stars mom advises mm-hmm. her on that whole situation. Um, I just think she is so wise in letting star find her own solution and get to her own place. But she's also pretty clear in drawing a line there. And I think Mm -hmm. it's one of those, once you start, once you let in that revelation about another person, it's hard not to see all of the times that something similar has happened. And Mm -hmm. so I think, yeah, that was when star could really see that it just wasn't going to work out, that Mm -hmm. there was no going back. Mm And I think, you know, Chris is a nice contrast yeah. um, as far as him being a white boy who um, so, yeah. <laughs> sometimes is kind of um, silly clueless. Yeah. and clueless, <laughs> um, you know, and, um, and and clueless about things having to do with being black, um, mm-hmm. but also just, you know, clueless about relationships, clueless yeah. about what he's supposed to do, but um, endearing and well-meaning. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and always willing to ask. And always, yes. that's right. Willing to ask and willing to learn and willing to grow. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, that's what's really, that's what's so powerful about that relationship is just that um, he you know, they both are willing to grow and to change. And she has to learn to let him in, and he mm-hmm. has to learn um, what it means to be in, um, right. to be in some of the situations that he's having to work through. I mean, I think about, like, the protests and the rioting um, that happens in his role there. Mm-hmm. So I think for both of them, they're doing a lot of learning. But, you know, it's it's still um, really tender. Mm-hmm. And both of them have... You know, it's just, it's just a, you know, you, I think her dad and mom have this great relationship. And then Chris and Star seem to have a really great relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see that. Yeah. And, but it's also amazing to me that Thomas takes on so many big, big issues. <laughs> and yet also is able to portray this relationship that has its ups and downs very clearly. I mean, so this is a relationship that I think would be great in any YA romance novel on its own. Uh-huh. And yet... The fact that this is in the midst of all of these really serious moments is amazing. Uh Yeah, I mean, it's just so well balanced. And that you see, you know, Star's so desperately trying to get Big Mav to approve of him, of Chris, and Big Mav doesn't want to both because he's white and just because this is a boy who is dating his daughter. Yeah, it's, yeah, really masterful. Yeah, yeah, that... That makes me think about um, Uncle Carlos yes. and Big Mav. And what did you all think about all of that? I mean, I think that that was a very important part of Star's mm-hmm. life. The two, you know, parent. I mean, in a lot of ways, they were two father figures mm-hmm. for her. Um, for me, I understood, I mean, both sides of the coin because I understood Big Mav's resentment toward Carlos mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of him kind of being the knight in shining armor who came in and and save the day when he was in jail. But I also understand Carlos's point of view where he basically took care of them for the three years Mav was in jail. And I mean, I really, I thought that made a really interesting dynamic. And then the fact that, that he was Lisa's brother Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and was this father figure to, uh, to star and that she clearly loved. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was just a very interesting dynamic, and then the then adding the layer of the, that he was a police officer. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, it was. I thought it made for really compelling story, and I just I really could empathize. It goes back to that thing like empathizing with all the like both mm-hmm. the characters, yeah, and understand it, being able to understand. And Thomas so, does so well at making us understand the motivations of both characters Mm -hmm. and I really I thought that was a a compelling storyline yeah I think the part with Uncle Carlos that with him being the police officer made me think about um, I think it was over the summer do you all remember when there were the that people banned this book or they removed this book from summer reading lists Yes, because um, local police departments thought that it communicated the wrong message and I just thought Uncle Carlos demonstrates that that is not right because Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. 
again, Thomas does such a good job not generalizing. She does not ever say that all police officers are bad. Mm -hmm. And you have someone who I think is really endearing in the book who disproves that. And so then, yeah, just to see groups generalizing about the book, because it does address police violence, but it, it again, she, she is not calling out every police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the word nuance, just every, every <laughs> new point that we make, I just think she does such a good job defending her implicit argument mm-hmm. and providing subtleties that show so many, uh, yeah, so many different perspectives on Star's life. Mm-hmm. So that it, it just is all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. Just, it, there are so many issues that she covers so well. Yeah, and I think I appreciated how Carlos's perspective changed over mm-hmm. the course yeah. of the book as far as the incident itself. Yeah. Um, and how initially he, you know, when Star asked him if he would have shot Khalil and he did not want to... Say, I mean, he didn't mm-hmm. want to say. He went, you know, he was like, "Well, I want to believe that I wouldn't, but I wasn't there, and right. I don't know." And then in the end, him coming around to saying, "I would not have done it. Yeah. I would not have done it. You were children, and I would not have done it. Mm-hmm. And I know that much." Yeah. Um, and I think him having to balance, you know, his attitude toward, like, he wants to be loyal to the fellow officers and not say, mm-hmm. you know, he's not trying to say that the that officer one one five or officer Cruz was. Um, that he was right to do Mm -hmm. it. I mean, of course not, but he was trying to say it's a complicated issue. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think more and more as the book progresses and things come out, when he finds out that the officer held the gun, I mean, I just think, again, that was such a powerful scene where he's pointing the gun at her Mm -hmm. after Khalil is dead as if she's going to do something to him. I mean, I just think, you know, and then also another thing I like about it is I think that Carlos's perspective, even from where he lives and from his life circumstances there, is so different than Big Math, who sees firsthand all the time some of the horrible things that are happening with the police. And particularly, I mean, that incident where they go by the store. I mean, it's horrifying, but I also think um, it shows how powerful they can be mm-hmm. and how they can use that power in the wrong way. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, Jen, I mean, I think she is not um, trying to oversimplify what are complex issues, but she is saying that there is a time to do the right thing yeah. and that putting someone face down on the street because you feel intimidated by them is not the right thing to mm-hmm. do. Shooting a kid in the back because he is reaching into his car at a time you told him not to is not the right thing to right. do, and that is unequivocal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, you know, that part, yeah, I mean, is exactly what y'all said. Like, she is covering so many different things, but I think that that message is clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I, I hope, is said in a way that makes it possible for more people to hear it. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think that gets back to that this book does not require you to live in a city that is going through these things to understand it. She, she provides such a rich story that it can reach readers even who haven't had the experiences mm-hmm. that Star has. I mean, and lots of books do that, but I do think what you said about letting a lot of people hear it, mm-hmm. I think really struck home because I do think it's subtle enough that you don't feel like it's hitting you over the head. Mm-hmm. And so people aren't going to turn off sort of their right. <laughs> their thoughts immediately because you come to care about the character so much and understand where they're coming from so much. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what brings about culture change. We have to get more people on board to say this is an issue yeah. that matters and that some of the things that are happening, society can't, we cannot continue to stand for them right. because if we tolerate them, then they're going, you know, those things are going to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's part of what's really powerful. I wanted to say something um, about Garden Heights Mm -hmm. just because I loved Garden Heights because of the community that was there. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some bad things that were happening in that town, in that, in that area, but there was also this huge feeling of community and taking care of each other Mm -hmm. and being there for each other that I just really appreciated. And I Love that Big Mav wanted to have his store in Garden Heights yeah. and he wanted to serve the community and take care of his community. Um, I I can so relate to that even though I don't I don't live in in a city like Garden Heights mm-hmm. in, in an area like Garden Heights, but 
Um, I, I mean, I just, what he was willing to give up for his community and be the, mm-hmm. and just having this need to fulfill, a fulfill something in his community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. And I just, I would, didn't want us to finish our, our episode mm-hmm. without yeah. mentioning Garden Heights and the people there. And even the, the Mr. Lewis who cut yes. hair and stuff, and he's like, I mean, just that whole when how he gave him the store yes. at the end, and he yes. was like, I'm gonna retire, and you <laughs> yeah. know, I've got insurance money for it, and um, you can expand your store. I mean, I thought, yeah, like, and giving he was so cantankerous, but for, also really sweet. Yes, and like, and then Mad giving Khalil's um, family mm-hmm. money for his funeral. Right. I mean, it just. There were bad things happening. There were yeah. there were drugs and there was gang violence, but there was also this heart in that community mm-hmm. that just really spoke to me mm-hmm. when I understood Mav's, you know, worries about leaving the community mm-hmm. and yes. moving out of the of the community that community that he so loved because I think that does happen. I thought that was powerful yeah. too when you see him wrestling between protecting his family and contributing to his community and trying to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, because and that's how like you he, make the change, right. is right. trying to stay there. But I also totally could empathize with Lisa and being like, I want my kids out. Yeah. yeah. I want them out. Yeah. Because yeah. of all the things. I mean, Stars witnessed two mm-hmm. of her friends just killed by gun violence. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it was, that was just I mean, one of my, I mean, it's a small part, but one of my yeah. favorite parts of the book mm-hmm. that, about this, this need to stay in your community and make the changes mm-hmm. because you can't make changes if you're not there. Mm-hmm. But also this self-preservation and protecting of the people that you love. And mm-hmm. it's it was a really interesting dynamic for me yeah. to read about. Yeah, and I think his, like, struggle with Star about yes. what to say to her about, you know, whether to speak out. Uh, and I yeah. think so much, again, you could see that dilemma because, of course, in a lot of ways, all of his actions suggest that he very much wants her to right. speak out. Yeah. That this is her chance to say something and make a change but then he knows all of the danger involved with that and so I think like I really loved all of that and I loved watching her struggle with you know not that I wanted her to struggle but But like seeing the struggle of her trying to figure out what what her role is and um when to speak out and who to tell I mean Mm -hmm. I think that was an interesting part too I mean like where Chris Finds out that you know, realize he he sees her um, walking away on the interview. Um, yeah, and you know knows that it's her, and then has to deal with the fact that she hasn't told him. I mean, I think that there's a lot throughout the book about um, whose story is it, who gets to tell it, mm-hmm. um, when is it right to tell it, and I think that that is really complicated and the the book you know you really see like all those complexities of um is it worth it to speak out Mm -hmm. and in the end I think she decides that it is Mm -hmm. um that it's worth you know it's worth what it's going to take for her to stand up and and say enough is enough Mm -hmm. but um yeah the part when it gets wrapped up in Black Lives Matter and that whole movement um I just listened to when they call you a terrorist and I think that's a memoir but it it just highlighted for me the decision that there are enough things that have happened to you that even though you know what people will say mm-hmm. when you do speak out and when you do protest, it's still worth it because that's the choice that you have to make and that you have to stand out even if you know that some points of view will make it seem less than, what's the word I'm looking for? Like less than a sincere action, less than a pure mm-hmm. action. Um, but that you still have to do it for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was really great as well. And the way that all comes about that she, you know, that Chris is in the car and that they're explaining things to him when that whole part at the end happens with the protests and, you know, the riots in Garden Heights. I think having his perspective there as an outsider who doesn't have any knowledge of that area makes it. Both gives you the insider's perspective and the outsider's mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that worked really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did you all think about the rioting in the end? I mean, I felt like <laughs> I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just say something and, <laughs> and then y'all can tell me what you think. We just kind of looked at each other like, oh. <laughs> I mean, so I felt like, again, if she were trying to pretty up the book, yeah, she would have left it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think that just like the officer not being, like him being acquitted. Right. Is painful but true. Um, that rioting is also painful 
but it's something that is happening when there are a lot of people in horrendous situations um, who feel that they have no power. I mean, it goes back to power and agency. They feel Mm -hmm. angry and hurt, um, and then things kind of spiral out of control. But I thought that, so I think that that's kind of a hard, it's hard to work through. And so I think, you know, her speaking up and, like, protesting is awesome but then we also see some of the unraveling mm-hmm. um of what's happening in the neighborhood and how dangerous that is right. for seven and Devonte and chris and star when they're in the midst of it yeah. and i mean her poor mom who called like the, all those times when they weren't answering the phone mm-hmm. so like how scary it is for the people who are in it so i like yeah i mean i i liked it but i also thought it was it was complicated yeah yeah, it's really an interesting thing. And again, like you said, uh, Thomas is not afraid to be messy and not afraid to have something out there that is not clearly right. Like, there are problems with it. I mm-hmm. mean, they could have died. Yeah, there's um, a, well, and there's a whole thing with Devante where he's like, I didn't care about those stores anyway. And mm-hmm. then she's thinking, like, that's not why we should. I'm trying to see if I can find that real quick. But, oh, yeah, she was like... Um, he says, what are we supposed to do then? All that kumbaya peaceful shit clearly don't work. They don't listen till we tear something up. Mm-hmm. And then she says, those businesses, though. And he says, what about them? My mama used to work at that McDonald's, and they barely paid her. That pawn shop ripped us off a hell of a lot of times. No, I don't give a fuck about neither one of them bitches. So, I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. he is so angry, and he has mm-hmm. right to be angry. And so Star is questioning what it means to let these stores be destroyed. Right. But I think that Devante really speaks to the rage mm-hmm. that people are feeling. Well, that they're part of this system that yeah. he feels yeah. like he does not have a place in. And that he so wants why would he care to, to listen? Mm-hmm. He wants people to hear him. And I mean, I think that part is really powerful. But like I said, I mean, I think Messi also, mm-hmm. um, and and I mean Messi for her family because yeah. I think I mean then the store is destroyed yeah. and they're all, and they almost die mm-hmm. in the fire. And I mean, I think and we know King and his boys did that, mm-hmm. yeah. but they use that as right. an opportunity to do it, thinking nothing of consequence would happen because all these things were happening mm-hmm. all around. Right. So, I mean, I think, you know, um, we have somebody who's clearly kind of the bad guy right. who does that to them, but it also speaks to the general chaos that, mm-hmm. that was happening at the time. So, mm-hmm. So we talked a lot about Big Mav, and we've talked some about Lisa, um, but and I said before, I think her family is so sweet, and her parents are so cute, and um, even the even the things that they, even when they disagree, like you said before, Sarah, about the move, and how her mom is like, we have got to get out of here, and her dad has lots of good reasons for wanting to stay. Mm-hmm. Like, I just felt like all of that was very understandable. Um but then, like, seeing them try to work through that is really sweet. Um, but anyway, we didn't talk much about Seven. What did you all think about him? Um, well, one of the the main scenes that really stuck out to me um, through several rereadings of this book is the part on, it's on page 87, but um, it says Seven freezes, he turns, to Chris, he turns Chris's mix off and slows down. Why did you turn the music off for, Sakani asks. Shut up, Seven hisses. We stop at a red light. A Riverton Hills patrol car pulls up beside of us. Seven strains up and stares ahead, barely blinking and gripping the steering wheel. His eyes move a little like he wants to look at the cop car. He swallows hard. And there, uh, there's this moment of tension where they are, I mean, Seven is terrified. Mm-hmm. And he is doing nothing wrong. He is sitting in his car at a stoplight. And uh, when a police car comes up beside of him, he has this moment of terror, and all mm-hmm. of them do. And it's just so telling to me um, the fear that they're living in in the neighborhood. And it goes back to um, Lisa and Mav telling the kids that if you're pulled over by a cop, mm-hmm. don't do everything they say. Don't don't step out of line. And it, and that's running through Star's head when um, she and Khalil are pulled over right. because um, because that was like they told her about the birds and the bees and mm-hmm. they told her what to do if a cop pulled mm-hmm. her over. And I mean that is really telling for like what they're living the with the the fear and the environment that they're trying to navigate in their community. And mm-hmm. these are the people that are supposed to protect, protect them. them right? yeah. yeah, I think that I appreciate that in several parts in the book. Um, and that just reminded me of the part where she and her mom are coming back into Garden Heights after they've been at um, Carlos's house and they have to go through, there's a blockade and so they're going to have to go by the police cars um, and they have to talk to the officers. And I mean, it's all Stark can do to get through that 
um, incident. And, you know, she is just, her, her mom realizes that she's panicking. And mm-hmm. so, um, it just says, this is on 165, I grab my door handle. They can easily grab their guns and leave, and leave us like Khalil. All the blood in our bodies pooling on the street for every, everybody to see. Our mouths wide open, our eyes staring at the sky, searching for God. Hey, mama cups my cheek. Hey, look at me. I try to, but my eyes are filled with tears. I'm so sick of being this damn weak. Khalil may have lost his life, but I lost something too, and it pisses me off. Mm-hmm. It's okay, mama says. We got this, all right? Close your eyes if you have to. I do. Keep your hands visible. No sudden moves. Only speak when spoken to. The seconds drag by like hours. And it goes on. And, you know, she gets through that. And her mom turns around and is like, see, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. But I just think, I mean, it shows. But it's not fine. It's not fine. Right. That's right. That's right. That, you know, her mom is trying to talk her through it because what else can her mom do except try to help her through that situation. But they both know Mm -hmm. the danger there. Um, and the way things the way things could go wrong. I think seven is interesting too because I think not that Star's life has been easy, but she's had this sense of trust that the right thing will happen. And I think seven had these two very different experiences since he has a different mom, since Lisa is not his mom. And so he has gone back and forth, just as Star goes back and forth between Garden Heights and Williamson, um, he is going back and forth between this family. And his other family, which, you know, is caught up in gangs, is caught... And and so to see him deciding, does he make a move for himself and go to college, or does he stay Mm -hmm. to protect his mom and and really his sister? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think that's interesting as well, just to see how even, Mm -hmm. you know, the difference of one parent can make your life entirely different. Yeah, I mean, I think that struggle with his two younger sisters Mm -hmm. and feeling like... If he leaves, things are going to fall apart for them. Yeah. It's really tough. And I don't know that there's a right answer mm-hmm. there. I mean, I know we, you know, I as the reader yeah. want him to be able to go to college and live his life. But then I can see mm-hmm. and I how think hard that is. Even teaching where we used to teach, where, mm-hmm. which is very, very different. I had a lot of students who had to make that, that choice between caring for younger siblings who, for whatever reason, they had a great deal of responsibility for, Mm -hmm. or to make a choice for themselves. And like you said, of course, I always wanted them to be able to Mm -hmm. make the choice for themselves. But I think if you're in that situation, how do you not take care of your family? Yeah. So, yeah, I just, he's yet another character who is drawn so well. Yeah, that it's just one more perspective on a series of complex situations. Yeah. Yeah, I just I I find myself wanting to read all these passages, which I'm not going to do. But I just think that moment where he stands up to Aisha and he just says, um, "No, I didn't invite you," you know, to his graduation party, and how um, how hard that was, and how how hard it is to think. I mean, like she says, "I am your mother," mm-hmm. you know, and kind of how dare you? <laughs> but also that he's just like you've never been there for me, and right. like you know, why should you be there now? And the way in which she. A pre- comes yeah. and presents herself right. I mean, he's embarrassed yes. and he and she, I mean she also I mean she has issues you know with King and mm-hmm. um, there's domestic abuse and, and violence but also she has the sense of entitlement that she brings with her when she come when she's out in, mm-hmm. front, in front of others mm-hmm. and I mean I think that for seven that's mortifying mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. and that and that's really tough yeah, yeah. but she, yeah She's an interesting character, she too. Is. Yeah. And I think all of those family dynamics are so interesting throughout. Um, and I love the conversation that um, Kenya and Star have ultimately about where Star finally says the thing that she had been thinking throughout the story about how it's, you know, he's our brother. He's mm-hmm. not your brother. He's our brother. Um, and how they come around to kind of, I mean, you know, I think when she paints that picture for Kenya, Kenya can understand mm-hmm. her yeah. perspective on that, but um, them having to kind of work through it and realize that um, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Before we move into our pairings, um, we haven't talked about the title, but what did you all think about how that got tied into the book? Well, I thought just having been a children, a child of, a, of the 90s and listened to Tupac, and I always remember the thug life mm-hmm. on his, um, the tattoos on his fingers, and I had no, I mean, I had no idea what that meant um, back then, but to learn what it meant now, um, I think it is 
a, the perfect title for this book. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, um, again, Thomas was able to weave that in to this story, I thought was incredible. And I, I really liked, I, I really liked how the explanation of the title and how it came to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Pac said thug life stood for the hate you give little infants fucks everybody. And so I think when you see, you know, that this is centering on a child, you know, she's a young adult, but she's a child. And yeah, I mean, the title really does portray a lot of things that happen in the book mm-hmm. and just about that choice between hate and something else mm-hmm. is a big part of the novel as well. Yeah, and I loved how um, it came up with, and like you said, Sarah, I mean, I love Tupac, uh, but I had no idea about that. And I mean, yeah, I mean, remember, you know, that's a very visible part of a lot of his pictures, yes. but just had no idea um, what that meant. And so that was really enlightening. But I loved how she talked about not only with Khalil, but then again with her dad. And that whole mm-hmm. conversation that she had with her dad, I mean, I just think it's one of those moments where you're just like, it's the moments you want to have with your kid, but that don't come around all the time where right. you really get to kind of talk about like the heart of the issues and um, the way the world is. And so um, I loved all that where he was getting her to kind of spell it out, like yeah. explain um, what she thought that those things meant and had the way she saw the world. And I think that was something that was important to him that he, you know, that he has a chance to kind of say, um, what do you think about the world? And I think it helped her to think through some of the issues. So let's get to the pairings. So this is Jen. I am choosing a book that is out of genre, but that had a lot of connections that I think are pretty illuminating. Um, I listened to Gabrielle Union's We're Going to Need More Wine, which is a memoir. It's structured as really a series of essays. So I think some of them, you get the good gossipy stuff about her different (laughs) acting jobs and, you know, what you expect from a celebrity memoir. But I also think um, she talks a lot just about um, growing up, she lived in a town where she felt like she was the only black person. Um, It was not a diverse place. But over the summer, she would go to visit her grandmother in a community that was predominantly black. And so she talked a lot about how she behaved differently in the two in the two towns and how she had to do code switching just like Star. And so I thought that was a nice counterpart to um, reading that part of The Hate You Give. She also talks a lot um, about kind of having the talk with kids. So she is married to Dwayne Wade and they are raising um, his son and I think it's sons and then his nephew. And she talks about the fact that they are growing up in a life of privilege, but it is still one where they are black and they are going to confront situations where that is a problem. And so she talks about dropping black bombs on them. So she's taking them to a party at a house of friends who are white. And she talks about the fact that, you know, they're not allowed to go around to any of the rooms because if anything goes missing, they'll be accused of it. There's another time that they're in their community and they're getting ready to go to like a community center kind of place and they walk because they don't have a ride. And she just can't believe that her husband let them walk in this community because they're black kids in a community where they will be looked upon with suspicion. So I think seeing her dealing with these kids who are very, very privileged, but still have to deal with the reality of being black in white America um, is really interesting. And just that those kind of reality checks that you see Star has to have throughout her, throughout that book, um, seeing Gabrielle Union's perspective as a parent, thinking through, you know, she wants her kids to have an innocence and to feel confident, but she also wants them to know what the real world is like. So that's We're Going to Need More Wine by Gabrielle Union. And I will say she narrates it in script and I love hearing her read her own words and I think she's a great storyteller. And in addition to those parts, there are just a lot of things that she's gone through. Yeah, it's just a great book in general, but also as a pairing for for this novel. (laughs) Yes, I read that one on Scribd as well, or listened to it, and I I really enjoyed it. She's great. So this is Sarah, and my pairing is also out of genre, and it is also a memoir. (laughs) Um, It is called The Girl Who Smiled Beads. Um, It's by Clementine Wamaria, and um, she has a co-author, Elizabeth Wheel. I hope I'm saying her last name right. I didn't check. 
<laughs> I should have. Um, but anyway, so this is this this is um, Clementine's story of being a Rwandan refugee. Um, she started her refugee journey when she was six years old, um, and during the Civil War in Rwanda. And it's a um, and the subtitle of the book is the story of war and what comes after. And what the reason I think that this is a great pairing for the hate you give is. Um, I think that in Angie Thomas's book, she comments, she's commenting on um, individual, like that there are individual stories that um, that Khalil isn't a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. He is a person, and each person has their own individual stories, and each story is important, and each story is unique. And um, Clementine, in her story, she makes that comment when people just just refer to the Rwandan genocide and lump everybody together in this genocide that happened in Rwanda. But she said, but her point in the book is that every refugee has their own story and they're vastly different and that by lumping them all together, you're stealing some of the power and agency that those people have over their own story. And so while the, sto- the books are very different, um, I do feel like some of the same themes arise mm-hmm. And I, ju- I love the book. It, it is a hard read. And I would say that if you like books that have a lot of closure, you're not going to get that here because she's still on her own journey. And it's, it is pretty powerful. So I think they have some of the same themes. They are same, some of the same commentary on social issues and just political issues. Um, but... It's, they're very different as well. But if you like memoir, I would totally recommend it. So that is The Girl Who Smiled Beads by Clementine Wamaria and Elizabeth Wheel. I would like to talk about Dear Martin by Nick Stone. This is, this one's a lot more on the nose than other of yours in the sense that it is dealing with race relations in America. It is talking about issues. Gun, there's gun violence. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of similarities. Um, but... Justice is the main character, and he is going to an elite private school um, where he is one of the few black students. And he, um, one of the things I like about it is that he is, that the way that Nick Stone sets up the story is that a lot of, um, there's a lot of debate and class discussion, and all of that is just outright in the book. And so a lot of people's perspectives are heard, and um, a lot of, people are I mean it's ki- it's kids you know and of course it's it is fiction but it is very true to the discussion among teens who are working through these issues yeah. of race relations in America um, and I think that that part was just really it was I really appreciated reading it and found it really powerful but I also think when I think about classroom um, connections which we'll talk about in a minute that this one's great for the classroom because it does such a nice job of showing all the sides and and really just laying out the debate I mean like I said there's a lot of dialogue it moves very quickly um, but anyway justice is really struggling with the way things are in society and he's thinking a lot about Martin Luther King Jr. and so um, in the premise of the story he is writing letters to to Dr. King and so that's why it's called Dear Martin is is he is writing these letters um, to um, Dr. King to ask you know to say how could how could you you said this thing but how is this happening like how is this the way society is and how is peaceful resistance enough um and so in the midst of all of that there is an incident that happens um that i don't i don't want to spoil anything because it happens later in the book but but it is this it profoundly changes his life and calls into question even more so all of the things he was already asking dr king in his letters and really just makes him have to um face in a stark and um, painful way, you know, right up front in his own life, some of these things he'd been thinking about more abstractly. And so, again, that is Dear Martin. It's by Nick Stone. And I think that it's a great read. And also, um, if you're thinking about the classroom connection, it is a lot shorter than The Hate You Give, which I think um, page numbers are certainly not the thing that should determine what people teach in class. But sometimes longer books are extremely difficult 
Um, depending on how you're doing them with your students, they can be really hard to get through no matter how phenomenal the book is. So mm -hmm. I just think if you're looking for something that deals with some of the same issues as The Hate You Give, um, but does so more concisely, um, Dear Martin mm -hmm. is true for that. So, and yeah, just another, it was, it was a great story. Yeah, let's talk about classroom. I mean, I said a little bit, but let's talk about classroom connections. I absolutely think The Hate You Give work, would work well in a high school classroom. I think... It's powerful, approachable. Um, I think it would be a great center of multiple discussions. Um, I do think that the page length could be difficult depending on the level of the reader because it is a longer book. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with a teacher last year who was doing some pairings. And so she um, read the screenplay for To Kill a Mockingbird in class with her students. And then as a companion piece, all of them had to choose either to read The Hate You Give or Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley's All American Boys. And I think that book works well because, I mean, topically, it's also about police violence. And I think it would give you a lot of um, discussion in common, but it's from two males' perspectives. And I just think it's an easier book physically. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not quite as long. I don't think it's quite as dense. Um, so I think that might work well. And I also liked that she was saying, you know, a lot of people still really love To Kill a Mockingbird, but maybe that shouldn't, well, definitely, that shouldn't be the only way to approach a discussion of race. And so I think having those pieces work in conjunction with each other was a really interesting way to talk about issues of race and of, you know, there's a court case in all three. Yeah, so I think, but yeah, it, so again, The Hate You Give is great. I do think you as a teacher should probably read it first just to make sure that it's accessible for your students. Um, I would say the same thing for middle school. I mean, upper middle school. I taught eighth grade, so um, I think we could, I, I could have done the, the Hate You Give mm -hmm. with some students. The page length would be a barrier mm -hmm. for others, especially if I'm having to read it aloud. Yeah. That could take a while yes. for um, my students. Um, I was trying to think of another book and it was this, I thought about maybe Jason Reynolds again. He's mm. such a great author. Mm -hmm. Um, long way down. Oh yeah. Even though that's not about police, um, gun violence, mm -hmm. it's, it is about gun violence and it's a commentary on gun violence mm -hmm. and in, in a community that seems similar to mm -hmm. what might've been happening in the garden Heights. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the gang relation stuff, I, mm -hmm. I think could, you could talk about. So I probably would do something like that since it's a verse novel yeah. and um, it would be a much quicker read for my students. Um, but being able to hit on it, some of the same themes that were in The Hate You Give. So Yeah, I agree with what you all said. And I think that um, one of the things that's amazing is that there are a lot. I mean, Dear Martin, The Hate You Give, um, All American Boys all very quickly come to mind mm -hmm. um but and the long way down i mean i think so my point is that there's a lot of ways that you could do lit circles mm -hmm. with students and have something like race relations or gun violence mm -hmm. or police brutality be a central focus and then have different ways that they you know different books that they can choose that deal with those issues mm -hmm. and they come come at those issues from different angles so that if they prefer you know a female narrator then they might gravitate right. toward the hate you give if they prefer a shorter book they might choose dear martin mm -hmm. so i think like finding a way for kids to access some of these issues mm -hmm. With, without, you know, and, and it's hard to find one book. I mean, we talk about that with whole class reads yeah. in general. It's hard to find one book that works for every kid. And so I think finding a way to get kids into these issues and get them talking about them in a meaningful way is so important. Um, and I appreciate what you said, Jen, about I feel really strongly that a lot of people in our area um, are still teaching To Kill a Mockingbird as a way to discuss race. And I think that that is an amazing book. And mm -hmm. I think it, it's, a, it's a beautiful part of Southern literature. But I don't think it's what we need to be doing alone to discuss race in 2018 in America. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all there is to it. And so I just think... You know, what are we going to do to make that more of our discourse so that we are educating our society about these issues in a way that makes them think? Um, because I just find that 
yeah, we don't have to get into the whole debate about the mockingbird, <laughs> but you know, I just think it's easy for people because it happened a long time ago. Because a lot of the racism is so um, overt, it's kind of easier for people to think like that's not me. Whereas I think that a lot of the books that we're discussing, the shades are a lot more complex, and yeah. so mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to question um, some of the things that you think or do or say, and what those might mean to someone. And and I think that's the kind of that's the kind of debate we want our kids yeah. to be having, and the things we want them to be thinking about. I was thinking back to um, an, a Book Riot article called Is It Time to Retire to Kill a Mockingbird from Required Reading Lists? And I, I think that is worthy of discussion. But one thing that I like about the article is um, it's by Jennifer Mayer. And she says, I'm going to find it. How do we retire what To Kill a Mockingbird gives us? How else can we educate children on the harsh history of our culture? And then it has links to a bunch of pages with options. So we can link that in the show notes as well. I think it's worth a read and worth a consideration. And again, like I love that book. Mm-hmm. I reread it. I had read it in high school and then I reread it um, before Ghost at a Watchman came out and I found myself loving it. But what's your purpose? Like mm-hmm. I think that's, mm-hmm. it depends on what your purpose is. Is it to teach a beautifully written book? Great, it is. Is it to discuss the current status of race in our nation? That's probably not the best option. So considering purpose is important. Thanks for listening. We love Angie Thomas's work and we think her books are a great fit in the classroom. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnderbridgePod or on the web at UnderbridgePod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.